Hello, my name is Gabe Phillips, and welcome to Life Changes Church Online and part two of our Hashtag Blessed series. We believe that if you journey with us for the next six weeks as part of this amazing series, investigating this 3,000-year-old prayer that's found in Numbers chapter 6, we believe that you and I together will be able to move beyond the hashtag and into the fullness of what God has for you and I in 2020 in our present day lives. Just some context for you for the book of Numbers. If you are unfamiliar with the Bible, we say Numbers chapter 6 is where this prayer is found. But the book of Numbers is the fourth book in the Bible chronicling the journey of the Israelites out of Egypt and then into the promised land. And, and this book of Numbers starts with them with uh, the backdrop of they've been d- delivered out of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They're now at, at Mount Sinai. They've received the Ten Commandments, the, the law that God has handed down to them via Moses. And uh, now they're, they're poised for the journey onwards into the promised land. And it's in this juncture that the book of Numbers is named because at the beginning of the book, there's a census taken where they count the number of people and the number of tribes and who they've got out of Egypt and moving forwards. And at the very end of the book, there's another census where they, before the promised land as they're going into it, they're counting the number of people and the tribes and what land will be allotted to who. So you can understand with the Greek word arithmoi, that's why they named the book Numbers. But if the most significant part of this is actually what happens in the middle of it, what happens actually directly after the number six prayer of blessing that we're investigating, is that they spend the next 40 years in the wilderness. The book should have been better named In the Wilderness because the the name betrays what goes on here. There's a whole lot of, not uh, not accounting for victories or, or potential futures, but a whole lot of complaining, a whole lot of arguing, a whole lot of blaming, a whole lot of diseases and plagues and rebellion and rioting. And if you just threw in a little bit of alcohol and cigarette bans, you'd basically have our last five months in the book of Numbers. But it's a crazy book. And I want to say that it's full of all this mess and this, this backbiting people who don't know their left from their right as they just wander around the same problems, not knowing how they're ever going to move forward. But it's on the front end of that journey that God tells Moses to tell the priests to bless the people with this special blessing. And this is what it is in Numbers chapter 6. It says this, The Lord bless you and keep you, protect you and sustain you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you His favor and give you His peace. Bring it straight into 2020 very quickly. A few months ago, uh, I was uh, putting away the toys that were littering our front garden at the end of a long day of play and the kids had been put to bed, the sun was setting and, uh, and I was putting all the toys away and humming to myself as I, as I was uh, used to do. And then uh, it got to the moment as, as the, the night was getting a bit dark, I, I was about to go inside and I heard a noise from my next door neighbor's home. But my next door neighbor was away at this moment and uh, he had told us such and we had the keys for his home and looked after his property if anything happened. But I, was, I, I suddenly heard a noise there that sounded like the footsteps of a person. And I don't know if you've ever had that moment before, but my, my blood ran cold. I just didn't know what to do. I froze because just this, this thin wall was separating me and an intruder. And, and, I, and there was silence. I didn't know what to do. Do you call out? Do you shout? Do you do what do you do? So I did something that any self-respecting skinny white male will do. I turned into Usain Bolt and I made it across my garden in two seconds flat into my, into my front door, locked the door behind me and set the alarm. The alarm that sets the beams in our front property just in case you're wanting to come visit us one evening. 
But, but I did that and my heart beating fast in my chest. I ran upstairs and I tried to peer out the window to see if I could see in that garden and see if I could make out if there was somebody there. And uh, I didn't know what to do, but I, I thought I looked for a long time until I realized maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe I, I misheard something. Maybe my imagination's gone wild. And as I settled down, I thought, okay, it's time for bed for myself. So I, I got undressed and was about to step into the shower when lo and behold, our alarm was triggered. Somebody was in our front lawn. And I knew it, I knew it. And that alarm sound went off and, and my fear just spiked all automatically again. And I didn't know what to do. And in that moment, uh, I did something so profound. I ran and leapt over our bed, knocking our bedside table and hurting my knee in the process. And, and, I, and, and I was, just, and I'm sorry for the image, but I was nude still at this moment. So I reached for a cap and put that on my head. And as I was running down the stairs in, in a shock and panic, the, the, the alarm company phoned me wanting to know if everything was okay. And to which I said, it's not, it's not. Someone's in our property. And they said, okay, give us the password so we know that we're speaking to you. And I couldn't remember it. Something that I made up, something that I have said countless times. I could not remember it. And I was fumbling. And my wife laughing upstairs because she had never seen a sight like this before. A man in full panic wearing a cap, semi-nude, running through the house, forgetting passwords, with an alarm going, kids shrieking and crying and awakened, and a whole neighborhood alerted. All of a sudden, everything went out the window. I, I want to tell you that that story has a good ending. The, the alarm company came and the intruder was chased away and, and no harm came to any of our homes. But I want to say in this moment that fear gets us doing crazy things. Fear gets us acting out of character. And no greater case in point is 2020. If we just look at our lives, we look at our world, the spirit of fear is having a field day. It is making people good people, people who normally have resolute focus and act in different ways. And, and we, are, we are not acting as who we are. We're doing things and, we are, and, and fear is crowding out our hearts and we don't know where to go. But I want to say in a time where fear is rampant, where there's fear of the future, disease, economic collapse, crime, loneliness, Fear of the next load-shedding schedule. Potentially even fear of what Kanye West might tweet next. But fear is very real. And I want to say fear is an enemy that can only be overcome, not with hashtags and pithy sayings, but actually it is overcome by truth and revelation of who God is. So today, as you join us, as you lean into this moment, I want to say maybe the alarm is going off in your life. The alarm is going off in your life and you're feeling exposed, and life is out of control, and you don't know where to turn, I want to answer this question, what is God doing at this time? Maybe you ask that question. You're facing a tragedy. You're facing pressures that you never thought you would ever be able to face. And you're saying, what is God doing at this time? We want to suggest from Scripture that God is still blessing. He is still protecting. He is still shining His face upon His people. He's still being gracious, he's still showing his favor, and he's still giving his peace. Welcome to part two of our series. Today is entitled, Hashtag Protected. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for us today, your people, the ones you love, as we come to your word, your scriptures, and, and want to move beyond the hashtag into the fullness of revelation of knowing who you are and whose we are. I thank you, would you bind up broken hearts? Would you strengthen feeble knees that give way? And you, would you rise courage in our hearts like never before, God, so that we could put to death the spirit of fear and walk in the spirit of love, power, and a sound mind? In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Amen. So this, in this moment, I want to give you simply and powerfully three ways that God protects, sustains, and keeps His people. Three ways God protects, sustains, and keeps His people. Number one, He does that by His presence. His presence. Let's have a little bit of context here. Number six, Moses is giving this blessing that God has given him to the people of God's blessing and protection and favor and, and the fullness of all God is towards them on this journey through the wilderness. But he's doing this from the base of Mount Sinai. And if you rewind Moses' story, he's been here before, this very spot. And if you rewind his story, as if I was placing a PVR, all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, we find Moses, after he's had the first stint of his life of 40 years as the prince of Egypt in the palace with all authority of the land at his hand, fingertips. But then he was driven out and had to run and flee for his life and spends the next 40 years in an area called Midian, the, the backwater town, on, doing a dead-end job for his father-in-law. But Exodus 3 tells us that in that job, in that space of, of, of uh, the lowest of the low, it says he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai. This time in Exodus 3, he's leading a flock of sheep. A few years later, at the base of Sinai, he's going to be leading two million people of Israelites into the, for 40 years towards the promised land. But you see this powerful, amazing imagery that I understand is that God shows his hand and reveals himself to Moses, not when he's in the palace in Egypt. Not when it was seen he was the prime moment God could use him in that moment of strength. Not when Moses had everything going good for him. No, God reveals himself to Moses in the desert. When he's alone, when he's sunburnt, when he's miserable, when he's angry, when he's dejected, when he's uh, lost in his own thoughts, where he's going, what is God doing in this story? It's in that place God reveals himself. And I want to suggest to you today, maybe you're watching this and you feel like Moses in a dead-end job. Maybe you're packing lunches night after night after night. Maybe you're changing nappies. Maybe... You've been crying yourself to sleep and you're wondering, what is God doing all this? I wanted, and maybe you've been saying, look how much I've lost. If only the last bit of my life was now. Look how much I've lost in the season. Maybe I can just suggest very quickly to you that maybe that relationship you lost, maybe that opportunity or that job that didn't go your way, maybe that was God protecting you, keeping you for something greater. You see, Moses has this encounter here where he comes face to face with God himself in the form of a burning bush, a bush that explodes into flame. And Moses goes, for time's sake, I'll just give you the paraphrase version. And for time's sake, he, he goes up to this bush, he goes closer to see it, and God speaks from this bush towards Moses. And it's this powerful encounter where God has this exchange and tells Moses, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And Moses is, is struck with awe, is coming face to face with God. And this conversation gets to its climax where God says this, I have seen and I've heard the travails of my people in Egypt. I have not been distant. I've not been apathetic towards it. I've seen and I've heard their cries. And then he says, and I have come down. And I can imagine this moment, Moses getting so pumped because he is feeling betrayed. He's feeling like he's let, let his people down. He's let them to suffer in Egypt while he's run away into Midian. And he hears God saying, I have seen. And I can hear Moses going, yes. And he hears God say, I have heard. And I can imagine Moses going, yes. And he hears God say, and I have come down. And he goes, yes. And then God says something so profound. He says, and I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh. And I can imagine at that point, Moses goes, no, no, no. It's like, at that point, he's like, God, you, but not me. 
It's this incredible dialogue that goes on because uh, Moses then says to, to, to God, says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I? You see, Moses was very aware of his disqualifications. And the voice of fear was loud in his life. And the voice of the enemy will be loud in these moments and will be declaring lies and, will, and the fear will be gripping our hearts. They'll say things like this, who, who am I to get a job in this climate? Who am I to stand up to injustice in our city? Who am I to make bold plans for my future? I'm uneducated. I don't have the resources. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the track record. I don't have the emotional capacity. I don't have the energy. And he, he lists all these things. Who am I? And I love this, this back and forth because God responds to him, not with a pep talk. God doesn't go all Dr. Phil on him or Oprah. God doesn't sit down with him and say, no, no, Moses, you know, I want to encourage you. You're the head and not the tail. No, God doesn't do any of that. There's no gladiator, brave heart-esque speech telling Moses that he can do it. None of that. God's response to Moses saying, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Is this response. God says, I will be with you. So profound. When God says, I will be with you. He doesn't even answer Moses' question. Why? Because he says, it's not what's inside you, but it's who is with you is more important. It's not that what is inside of you, it's who is with you. It's a God who is always present. A God who never disengages when it gets tough. You see, it's his presence that distinguishes us as his people. Years ago, when I was growing up in Zimbabwe, a story that I, I love to remember because I had two older brothers and we played a, a game of cricket, the three of us. One of them would bowl, one of them would bat. I always seemed to be the wicketkeeper. It's tough being the youngest. But I remember this one particular occasion because we lived next door to a home that had this massive uh, fence and they had these Rottweilers who lived next door. And as we were playing cricket, as would often happen, my one brother would bowl, away would bowl down leg, it would go over the fence and, uh, and I would be sent as the youngest to go scamper after it. But it was always this nerve-wracking moment where I'd have to climb the fence, look over, survey the scene, and see if the Rottweilers, one was named Sheba, I just remember that, it's still got a, a grip of fear in my life, and, uh, and, and see if they were present in this moment. And I remember as my brothers, they'll say, go, 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 go get the ball. The ball's sitting, shining in the, in the middle of the grass. I'll get over and I'll sneak across, all the way across the grass, pick up the ball, and as I was about to return triumphant, my brothers bless their hearts. As older brothers do, sadistic they were, they start to bang their, their, their hands against the fence and go, seek him, Sheba, get him, Sheba. And yet again, the spirit of Usain Bolt would come upon me and I would sprint across that field, that, that grass and leap one bound with a, with a, I can hear whispering death coming behind me of, of Sheba's mouth as I leapt over the fence again to my safety. But I, as I think of that silly story, I often feel a lot of us think that is how God sends us out. God sends us on a mission but doesn't go with us. Or we feel that God is only present in holy moments. That God is only there when Hillsong music is playing in the car or on a Sunday. No, 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 no. But actually, the more I look at God, we have to get a revelation that God is with us, present, never forsaking us, never leaving us. This is this, the, the bedrock of our protection, the bedrock of our, the sustaining power of God is His presence. In the midst of job loss, in the midst of recession, in the midst of hospital beds, disappointments, relational anguish, God says to you, I am with you. He goes before us, he hems us in, and he stands beside us. Psalm 23 verse 4 says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
I want to say to you at home today, you don't have to fear the shadow of death. You don't have to fear the shadow of loneliness or the shadow of addiction because you are under the shadow of his wings. There's a story I love about a man named Martin Luther King Jr. You'll know the headlines. You'll know the story of his life. But there's this moment in his life, the pivotal moment that scholars will tell us that changed everything for him. It was the height of the Montgomery bus boycott in Alabama where he is making a stand against racism and injustice. And he's at home one evening and the phone rings or the family being put to bed and the phone rings. And on the other side of the phone is threats upon his family's life, his life, and the bombing of his home. And as he hangs up the phone, in a moment of, of weakness and vulnerability, he sits with head and hands at the kitchen table, and he starts to weep. And he says, God, this is too much for me. He says, I praise the prayer. He says, I've preached your justice and kingdom all across America. But in this moment, I need to hear your voice. I need to know what to do. And the story goes that Martin Luther heard the voice of God say one thing. And the voice of God said this, I'll never leave you, Martin. And scholars tell us that that kitchen table moment was the moment where he knew that though he would not possibly die peacefully in his, de- in his bed, he would never have the presence of God removed from him in that journey. That is what the promise of God to you and I is in this moment. That's how he protects us, sustains us, keeps us. He is with us. Secondly, he protects us, keeps us, sustains us by his name. You see the story, this conversation between God and Moses carries on as he says, who am I? God says, I am with you. The conversation shifts. So Moses realizes he's not winning much traction with that. He says, okay then, who are you, God? Who are you? He asks him, what is your name? What are you like? You see, why is he asking us? Because he's come from 40 years in Egypt where they have a plethora of gods. They are a community, a people who are comfortable with multiple gods and they've all got different distinctions, different identities, different reasons for being, different track records, different personalities. So he's saying, what is your name? Who is going with me? Tell me your name so I can know your track record. And what God answers is so profound. It is, it is the bedrock of, of, of God's self-disclosure of himself towards humanity. God answers this not with a noun, not with a, a one-word statement, but with a verb. He says, I am who I am. In essence saying, I will be who I'll be. God is who God is. And as he continues, he says, my name is Yahweh. Yahweh. And that's so profound. That word Yahweh is so profound. You see, it it appears in the Bible, in the Old Testament, 4,500 times. And in our English translations, you'll notice that they they don't translate the word Yahweh for us. They put in all caps the word Lord, L-O-R-D. But it's different from just the Lord of the manor or a master. It is, when it says that, when you see all caps in your Bible, it means the word Yahweh is being used. Case in point in number six, when you read it says, the Lord bless you, the Lord protect you. It is Yahweh bless you, Yahweh protect you. And it's so holy. When God spoke this name to Moses, the Jewish people, they, they say it's so holy that they've dropped the vowels out of it. So it's just only Y-H-W-H. So they don't have to say the name out loud. But why is this so significant to you and I? When God says, I am who I am, I am Yahweh, it says it's got, it carries three powerful components to it. Number one, it says, I am sufficient. I am sufficient. I have been and I will always be. 
I never had a beginning and I'll never have an end. God frames all of eternity. God was, God is, and God will be Yahweh. He doesn't lead us to enough. He is enough. He's not a means to an end. He is the end. As Mark preached last week, He is our source and our substance. He depends on nothing, and if everything is stripped away, He is enough. Secondly, He says, I'm consistent. I am who I am. Yahweh, I never change. Nothing in all creation takes Him off God and backs Him into a corner. He, he never has to act out of character or compromise His integrity. The Scriptures tell us, he doesn't change like the shifting shadows. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Isaiah 40, verse 28, he says he doesn't grow faint or grow weary. And this is so powerful for you and I, because I want to tell you today that if he said he is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, there's no worldwide recession or job loss that can change that. If he said that he is Jehovah Shammah, the God with us, there's no rejection or relationship failure that can change that. If he said that he is Jehovah Shalom, God, our peace, there is no war or no worry that can change that. If he said that he is Jehovah Sidkenu, our righteousness, there is no bad mouthing or maligning of our character that can change that. If he said that he is Jehovah Nisi, our banner, no failure, no slip up, no falling short can change that fact. Let me tell you, Egypt rose and Egypt fell. Babylon rose and Babylon fell. The Roman Empire rose and the Roman Empire fell. ISIS has risen and fallen. Boko Haram has risen and fallen. The coronavirus has come and the coronavirus will go. But the name of our Lord will stand forever. I am who I am. Thirdly, when he says, yeah, I am I, who I am, I'm Yahweh, it's showing that he is intimate. You see, God gave himself a personal name. A personal name, just like Bongani or Gabe or James. You see, up until this point in Exodus chapter 3, where Moses, God had shown himself and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. But in this moment, there's a transition point where he says, with a relationship with man, and he says, I am who I am. I am Yahweh. In essence, he's saying, I am your God. I'm not just God. I am your God. I am your protector. I am your source. I am your substance. This is so powerful because Yahweh, our God, is a personal, intimate God. So much so that actually the way those vowels are written in Jewish language, in the Hebrew language, it would be the YHWH is Yod, Hey, Va, Hey. Yod, Hey, Va, Hey. And scholars say it's so, so uh, what Moses would have heard, what he would have actually heard, not just the name, he would have heard the breath of God. Yod, hey, va, hey. And as you dig deeper into that, scholars all agree that actually Exodus 3, when God gives himself to close himself, is just imitating Genesis chapter 2 when he creates Adam out of the dust. And he, Adam is created out of the dust and God breathes his life into Adam. Just like Adam in the dust, Moses in the desert being breathed, yod, hey, va, hey, his name breathes as protection, sustenance, and, and keeping his, 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 his soul into Moses' life, so too does he do it to you and I today. His breath, is wanting, his name is wanting to be impressed upon you and I. It's so beautiful. It's like, it's almost this, uh, this tension. We don't know really what to do with this, an invitation to intimacy. It's like when you first discover a teacher's name. You know, he, for so long you've called him Mr. Pringle. And then all of a sudden, when you're out of school, he says, no, please call me Aiden. Come and have lunch with me. It's a little bit disconcerting at first. 
But, but you realize that he's much more than just his title. He's inviting you into intimacy to engage with him. It's like in the middle of the night when we are all asleep in my home and you can't hear a noise anywhere. And out of the darkness from one room over, you hear my three-year-old voice, Olivia Grace, who's had a nightmare or she's lost her bunny or something's gone wrong and she cries out at the top of her voice, Dada! She cries out that name, a name that only two people in this world can say. With that tone, they'll get my heart moving. As she cries out, Dada, before my eyes are open, I am out of that bed and on a move towards her room because she knows my name, a name that has intimacy, a name that gives her access, the name that is hers alone to call and get me to respond. You see, this is the power of his name. Proverbs 18 verse 10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. So I say to you, if you are feeling exposed, let down, back against the wall, call out his name. The scriptures say those who call on his name will not be put to shame. So we see here, we have his presence. We're protected, kept, and sustained by his name. And thirdly and finally, we're protected, kept, sustained by his blood. You see the story of Moses. Moses says, all right, eventually I'll go with you, with you with me, carrying your name. I'm going to go to Pharaoh. And he gets to Pharaoh. He says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And he declares with conviction, let my people go. God has told me this will work. And Pharaoh responds, no. Moses is a bit thrown. So he goes back to the drawing board and says, God, what do I do? So God says, don't worry, I'm going to move powerfully with the fullness of heaven's might upon Egypt and Pharaoh. And the story goes that the 10 plagues are released upon Egypt. Blood, the plague of blood, and Pharaoh says no. A plague of, plague of frogs, Pharaoh still says no resolutely. A plague of flies and gnats and livestock, boils, hail, locusts and darkness, to which all Pharaoh says no, 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 no. Hardening his heart, refusing to let the people go. Eventually the story comes. Pharaoh is not moved by the words of Moses. He's not moved by the plagues and the power on display. So God says, I'm going to show you my trump card. God tells the Israelites, I'm going to move upon Egypt tonight like I've never moved before. And every firstborn male in every home will be put to death. But if you want to be protected, if you want to be kept from this wrath, you need to take the blood of a lamb, slaughter it, and take that blood and put it on the door frames of your home. And tonight, when the angel of the Lord passes over your home, if he sees that blood, he'll pass over your home, and you'll be protected, kept, and sustained in this night of terror. You can imagine the Israelites hearing Moses tell them this. They've seen all the plagues. They've seen God's mighty hand. They're nervous. So they say, Moses, tell us, is that enough? Surely, is there something else we need to do? Is there a, um, a tithe we need to pray, a play, a pay? Is there a prayer we need to pray? Is there a dance we need to do, a song we need to sing? Is there something we need to do extra? And Moses says, no. All I've been given is the blood. So that night, the Israelites do that. They put the blood on the door. And they sit in their homes, holding tight to their children, waiting that moment. The angel of the Lord passes over and they hear screams coming up the valley as home after home of Egyptian families, the firstborn is slaughtered, firstborn is killed. But the angel of the Lord comes to their homes, sees the blood, and passes over. This is so profound 
And this is the pattern of God from that day and into eternity, that the blood is always enough. The blood is always enough. There's no demon in hell and there's no sin of man that could ever pluck you from his hand if you are covered by his blood. You see, his blood speaks a better word. His blood stands in your defense and it silences the enemy. It declares that you are his forever. It breaks every stronghold. The blood breaks every stronghold. And because of it, nothing, hear me today, because of the blood of Jesus, nothing can separate you and I from the love of God. Neither height nor depth, neither life nor death, neither angel nor demon, nothing all of the heavens above and the earth below can ever separate us from the love of Jesus because of His blood. It is in us. I tell you today, His presence will never leave you. His name will always be upon you. And His blood will never fail you. And that takes me to this man named Jesus. He arrives on the scene and he's irritating the religious elites with his teachings. He's frustrating them with his miracles. But what throws them over the edge and gets them so irate so that they start plotting to kill him happens in John chapter 8, verse 58. On the back end of a whole lot of discussions and conversations with Pharisees and, and being accused of different things, Jesus finally makes this statement. Jesus says this about himself. He says, before Abraham, before Abraham was even born, I am in all caps. Why did that frustrate them so much in that moment? In that moment, Jesus said to them, I am who I am. In that moment, Jesus was echoing God's voice from the bush. In Exodus chapter three, declaring to Moses, he's declaring to their hearts, I am who I am. I am the God. So much so, Jesus is declaring, I am Yahweh. Oh, and this so frustrated them that how dare he claim to be God? So much so that they took him and they crucified him. But this is so huge because Jesus is Yahweh. I want to tell you, his blood is sufficient for the deepest sin. I want to tell you that his blood is consistent for the most failed that if you failed again and again and again, his blood is still consistent. I tell you, his blood is intimate and it calls the furthest sinner home to be his son and his daughter. His blood is sufficient, consistent, intimate because he is Yahweh. This is who our God is. And I want to tell you today, this is who he is on your behalf. So if the alarm of fear is resounding in your life like never before, the alarm of fear is resounding and being wrecking havoc in your life. I want to tell you the only thing that will protect you, keep you, and sustain you at this time is His presence, His name, and His blood. And here's the good news. In Jesus, we have full access to all of it. Let us pray. I believe today that people are making decisions to come home. If you're watching this right now and you've run away from God's presence, You've run far. Today is the day to come home. You've been trusting your own name, your own resources, your own ability to make a plan. Call on His name today. Maybe you've sinned and you've, you've, you've fallen short and you don't know how to clean yourself and redeem yourself. Don't try. Receive the fullness of His blood and be cleansed completely today. Father, I pray right now that we can know the fullness of your blessing, the fullness of your protection, the fullness of your favor, your grace, and your peace. Because on the cross, you became the curse. On the cross, you were left alone. On the cross, you were despised. On the cross, you became our sin. And on the cross, you died so that we could have life. 
I thank you right now as sons and daughters respond to the goodness of your grace. I thank you, Father God, that we would know that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. That your name is a strong tower that we can run into it and be safe. And that your blood never fails us. And because of that, we can live in the fullness of your protection. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.